Philemon chapter, well, chapter one, of course. But Philemon, we're going to, God willing, going to be looking at verses seven through nine tonight. Philemon seven through nine. Miss Nelda asked, "How long is are we going to be in this book, or before we get finished?" And, well, this is one of these books that when you start, you're almost done. So, yeah, we're in the last chapter, Brother Shepherd said. In the last chapter of Philemon, when we first begun, we begun the first chapter. So, um, but uh, we're studying Paul's letter to Philemon, who was a godly man. And uh, whom Paul has a matter of spiritual business with, regarding a, a personal matter between Philemon and one of his bond servants. We haven't yet gone far enough in this letter for Paul to actually address the matter of the bond servant, because Paul is laying the foundation upon which he'll soon make his appeal to Philemon. And you know, that in and of itself is a lesson. That sometimes, and Paul's going to get blunt, but sometimes bluntness, people love to say, oh, I speak my mind. Well, the Bible says a fool speaks everything in his heart. And even though we want to be candid, I'll never, I'll never apologize for telling you the truth up here. Don't ask me to apologize for telling the truth. Not going to happen. By God's grace, if I do, I'll be wrong. I'll be in the wrong. Now, but at the same time, I never want to be ugly. I never want to to be harsh. And sometimes, uh, hard words can be uh, can be coated with a little flavoring. Today, I did not know that God was going to let me use it as a sermon illustration, but He did. My wife is a big believer in vitamins and supplements. And I'm a pretty big believer in it myself. My wife's, I think, a little bit bigger believer in it than I am. And so she'll give me a a bunch of pills to take every day, and I don't even question what they are. I just take them. So I know what a lot of them are. Some of them I don't. I just dump in my mouth, and I start taking them. So today, there's two little pills that I know of, vitamin C and vitamin D, that sometimes she puts in there. The reason I'm familiar with those is because I like them. You, you bite down on it, and they're chewables. And they break, they break down, they have a really nice flavor, and then they get digested easily. So I shake these pills in my mouth today, and I could taste a sweet flavor on one of them. I thought, well, that's going to be the D or the C. So I go to bite down, and it was hard. So I took a little chance, bit down a little bit harder, and I finally got it broken into. And it wasn't meant to be broken into. It was a garlic tablet. Then that was just a sweet coating to keep, you know, let the little bit of sugar makes the medicine go down. That's what it was about. And boy, when I bit into that, oh my. My goodness. I need one of those masks to look like, like, like Nelda's got, make me look like a smile. It was terrible. And I won't make that mistake again. Um, but Paul put a little bit of sugar coating on the hard words, or the, 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 the hard matter, rather, 
that he's about to discuss with Philemon. And it would be a good lesson for us to remember, this is the second week we've been on this tonight, and we still haven't gotten to the issue of what Paul's actually writing about. He's not buttering Philemon up, but he's laying a good biblical foundation to help guide Philemon's mind so that when the truth is given, it won't be harsh or offensive or anything like that. As long as Philemon's heart's right, it won't be offensive to him. Because sometimes the truth is hard to take. So just let that be a lesson to you there. Just uh, try, to, try, to be, try to be sweet with your hard words, when you're, even when you're speaking on behalf of Christ. When I was a young preacher, I used to get up and pound the pulpit and I'd skin people alive. Think I was doing God a favor and that God was up there going, that's my boy. And that's not what God was pleased with. So uh, take a lesson from Paul. So before he addressed the matter of this issue, he laid the foundation upon which he'll soon make his appeal to Philemon. Before he addresses the matter of this bondservant, he's first going to address the matter of Philemon's relationship to God and the faithfulness and love that Philemon is known to have shown to all the saints. In verse 4, Paul told Philemon, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus toward all things. And this truth of Philemon's love and faithfulness to the saints is going to be an important part of how Paul makes his appeal to Philemon concerning the slave that ran away. And let me pause right here just a moment and remind everyone that when you see the word slave here, okay, when you see the word slave in the Bible or, 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 or bond servant or something like that in the scriptures, uh, don't, uh, don't assume if I talk about a slave up here, a runaway slave, don't, don't assume that we're talking about slavery as how we know it in the United States or have known it in the United States. The Old Testament is, uh, is, is full of issues about uh, slavery and things like that. But the Old Testament, it did condone the use of bondservants in some situations, very, very much so. But it did not condone stealing, kidnapping people and enslaving them. And there's a difference between the two. If you were to work up where I work at the bankruptcy, U.S. bankruptcy... Uh, then uh, you would get so disgusted listening to some people who uh, spin crazy, go into debt, and then want to leave their debtors hanging out to dry. And they try to use the federal bankruptcy system to leave them hanging out to dry. I was in court a while back when a man was trying to get the judge to shelter him so he wouldn't have to pay his bills to the people that he owed. A lot of them don't want to pay their house payments. And this man had already filed bankruptcy once in the past. This was his second time to file bankruptcy. And after he filed bankruptcy the first time, he went, he went out when he got through with his bankruptcy, went out and bought a big expensive home. Expensive cars. Expensive clothes. 
and then file bankruptcy again. And for people like that, it would be better to make a slave out of that man and force him to work his debt off than for a judge to get a magic wand and just erase the debt and leave the creditors hanging out to dry. You may think, but that's being cruel to that man. Well, it's being cruel to all the other men (laughs) who are left holding the bag. Makes them have to work that much harder. Uh, And uh, uh, so uh, we have to hold these people accountable and force them somehow to pay what they owe, even though we don't do that in the United States necessarily. Uh, We should. And in the Old Testament, under God's law, they did. It's also cruel to force society to pay the bills of irresponsible people who refuse to work. So either way you cut it, when you take money from a man who works and you force him to give it to other men who don't work, do you know what you're doing? If I'm taking money from Brother Doug and I'm saying, Brother Doug, you went to work today. Did you work hard at that body shop today? Well, give me some of that, please. And I take that from him. Don't want to give it to me? Take it anyway. I then go over here. How did you work? Well, here, you can have this. There you go. You know what I just did to Doug? I just make him a slave. Now he's in bondage to keep working for other people who don't work. And so it's wrong either way around. Again, the Bible doesn't condone kidnapping and enslaving as, you know, we've, we've thought about it in the past. But it does condone a just and fair balancing of the books. Slavery's been around for a long time and each culture has used the concept of bond servitude in different ways. And the Bible doesn't say how Philemon got to be a slave. But the Bible does I'm excuse me, how Philemon got his slave. Philemon was not the slave. He was the master. The Bible does not say how Philemon got this particular slave. But the Bible does tell Philemon what to do with a slave. And that's what counts. Okay? We left off last week in verse 6 where Paul prayed for Philemon. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you by Christ Jesus. And we learn that a powerful faith comes from acknowledging the powerful positions that we have in Jesus Christ. And with that said, we'll go ahead and move on now in our study to the next verse where Paul told Philemon why he thanked God for him. He said, verse 7, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Philemon's love brought great joy and consolation to Paul and his companions. It brought them great pleasure to see the love of God working through Philemon on account of his faith in the gospel message. Now, if you would, take your pen out here and underscore these two words, joy and consolation. Notice the two things that Paul said Philemon's love brought them. It was joy and consolation. And understand that this joy and consolation that came through Philemon was simply the outworking of the gospel of Christ through Philemon's faith in Jesus. Here's how it works. 
When we believe the gospel, our faith is uh, in that wonderful message. It acts like a spiritual conduit. You know what conduit is? You know, like you've got maybe a pipe or something and, and that water flows through it. It's a conduit. The technical term for conduit is a channel through which something flows. And faith is a conduit. And so when you put your faith in Jesus on the cross, that faith now is a conduit. And the love of Christ on the cross and the grace of Christ on the cross now through your faith flows from Jesus to you. That makes sense? Flows from Jesus to you. What do I have in my heart? I have the knowledge of what Jesus did for me on the cross. That faith is a conduit that takes what Jesus did up there and puts it down here. When our faith is laid upon the cross, the love of the cross flows through our faith down to us and then out to others. Paul said, joy and consolation. If you would take your pens and write down in your notes and your margin, Luke chapter 2. Verse 10 and 11. Luke chapter 2. Verse 10. In Luke 10 and 11. The angel came to shepherds watching over their flock. And quote said unto them fear not. For behold I bring you good tidings of great joy. Isn't that good? Great joy. And what did Paul say? We have great joy. And consolation in thy love. Where did that great joy came from? come from? It came from Jesus Christ. The angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. What's good tidings? Good, good news. That's the gospel. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. What's the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's good tidings of great joy. And he said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This great joy came from the cross of Christ. It came from Philemon's faith in the gospel. And speaking of Jesus once again... In Luke 2.25, the Bible says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. There are two things Paul said Philemon brought him, and that was great joy and consolation. And great joy and consolation were the two things the gospel of Jesus brought. The angel said... I've got good tidings of great joy. And, the, and, uh, and here, Simeon was waiting on the consolation of Israel. And the consolation of Israel is Jesus Christ. So Paul and his company were, 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 were receiving joy and consolation from Philemon's love. Because Jesus was loving the saints through Philemon. Paul said they received joy and consolation. Look back in your text. Because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Philemon helped the brethren along. He refreshed the bowels of the saints. 
refresh their hearts, refresh their spirits. He was a refreshing person. And the concept behind refreshing the saints is, is, is like this, that, that one Christian aids another Christian in their furtherance of the will of God. Refreshing is when one Christian aids another Christian in the furtherance of the will of God in their lives. When Bible Bill flew down here, bless his heart, he's so sweet, he, he, uh, he was asked by the man in the Philippines to try to help get some of these booklets printed for us so they could use them down there. And he gets to talking to me and he gets excited about getting in on this work. He said, can I fly down there and meet y'all? I said, you sure can. He didn't ask for a thing. Spent his own money. Flew down here. Yeah, I know it costs money to do all that. And uh, he come down and he wanted to establish a partnership with us so we could further the gospel together. And we recognized as a church that it was a considerable, considerable expense for him to come. So as a church, we paid for his hotel room and, and uh, some helped him out with, some, with, a, with a meal or two when he was here as well. And by doing this, we were refreshing him by meeting his needs and aiding and abetting him in the furtherance of God's will in his life. We recognize God is working through this man. So we're going to help him along. You know, if y'all ever seen him when they run those marathons. Anyone ever run a marathon in here? Not even Alice? Nobody? Nelda? That's a long time ago. Did you run one? Wow. Well, I've never run one. Brother Shepherd, not even you. He was too busy lifting weights. That's what it was. But y'all have seen them when they run the marathons. Tell me if this happened in your marathon. Did they have people like on TV? They have the little cups of water. They're kind of, they did? Yeah. And they're stationed at different places during the run. And so someone sees you coming along. They're not running with you. But they're working for you. To help further you along. And it was refreshing you. As the labor was taxing you to get to the finish line. That's the idea behind the refreshing of the bowels of the saints. You're out here doing the will of God. And you're encumbered through either sickness or debt. Hard labor or, or uh, spiritual attacks or whatever it is. And somebody has a cold cup of water for you in Jesus name. It may, it may be money. It may be encouraging words. It may be a, a, a hug and I'm praying for you, brother. It's going to be something to help that Christian along when they're taxed in their labor for God. And their service to God doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing missionary work, but as they're doing God's will. And so they see that person say, I recognize they're trying to make it to the finish line. I recognize they're living for the Lord. And so to further their uh, help and aid and abet them as they're serving Jesus. I'm going to come along beside them and give them a boost. So think about them handing that water off 
and drinking it and, and let them drink it as they go. Listen to how the Apostle Paul described the refreshing of the saints when he wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. He said, quote, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. So you see that there, there, there was something where the, the, the Corinthians had given to help Paul. But it wasn't quite enough to help him all the way. There still was some lacking, some need that he had. And so here's some other people that said, hey, Paul has need. Let's help meet that need so Paul can help meet the needs of others. We're going to help Paul help people come to know Jesus. And Paul was describing that as refreshing him. Refreshing his spirit or refreshing his bowels. Because it encouraged him. It gave him that boost. They supplied what Paul needed to further the work of God. They refreshed the saints. And this does not, again, necessarily have to be mission work. But for any saint who's living for Jesus and in need. So seeing Philemon getting in on the work of God by refreshing the saints, that brought Paul great joy and consolation. Because he was watching God at work in this man's life. It's encouraging. Verse 8, Wherefore, Paul told Philemon, Though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, and I know that's a bunch of words and you can trip over them real easy. Because we don't speak like that today. But let me explain to you what Paul's saying. As an apostle, Paul had the authority to boldly and bluntly enjoin Philemon. You see that word enjoin? Though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee. In, in, in law, in legal terms, uh, how many of y'all ever heard the word injunction before? Most people have heard the word injunction. It's a legal term. An injunction is where the court requires somebody, commands somebody to do something or to not do something. Either way, it's it's giving an order and it's taking this person in this order and it's joining them together. You are now bound. This order is strapped to you. It's on your back. Got to do it. It's an injunction. So an injunction enjoins that person to the order that was issued by the court. And Paul, as an apostle, had the authority. He could have issued an injunction to Philemon. I mean, he could have issued it from the highest court of all. He could have enjoined him, Paul said, to do that which is convenient. And that word convenient doesn't mean, oh, that's convenient. How nice. Just pop it in the microwave. You know, that's really convenient. That's not what the word convenient means. Here it means to do that which is appropriate. To do that which is appropriate. So Paul could have boldly commanded Philemon to do that which was right in the matter of this runaway slave. But Paul, knowing that Philemon was a man who refreshed the saints of God. Paul, knowing that Philemon was a man who loved and cared for the saints. Knowing that Philemon wanted to do right by God and by his people. 
Paul said, though I might have boldly enjoined you to do what was right, verse 9, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. Man, there's a good principle here. Now take your pens and underscore the phrase, yet. Yet for love's sake. If you'll remember that phrase right there. There's a lot of times. We have the authority in the Bible to do something. You know Paul said all things are lawful for me. But not all things are expedient. (laughs) In other words there's a lot I can do. I have liberty as a Christian to do. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily the best thing for me to do them. And there's times that we may have the authority as a homeowner, as a mother or a father, as an owner or or, or as a law enforcement officer or anything. We may have the authority to do something or as a pastor. But it doesn't mean it's always expedient. Do you know what always, always overrules expediency and authority? Love. So remember this phrase right here. If you're about to bold could have done. Didn't give me any problems Sunday and now it's wanting to act up on me. I'll put on my belt and see if it helps any. If I were to get my, it, it was cut. Any time that you are about to boldly do something that you know you've got the authority to do. And you know that, you, you know, no one can say anything to you about it. Remember this phrase, yet for love's sake. And if you can't do what you're doing out of love and out of glory to God, let love overrule the authority that you have. Let it overrule it. Paul said it was better to counsel. He said, he said yet for love's sake, instead of enjoining you, I'm going to beseech you. So Paul was saying, it's better to counsel Philemon than to command Philemon. He would rather beseech him than enjoin him. Why? Why would he rather beseech Philemon and and, and, and him to do something rather than command him to do something? For love's sake, that's why. For love's sake. Paul wanted to give Philemon the opportunity to obey out of love. Rather than out of necessity. That's it. And I'm sure we've all had situations in life. I know I have. When I could have really used somebody's help. (laughs) And I could have maybe told them. Do this. Maybe with your kids or something. Or or, you know. You you could have told them. "I I want you to stay home and help me clean the house. But you didn't tell them because you were hoping they would do it because it was the right thing to do. Maybe you got disappointed. Maybe you didn't. Have y'all ever done that? Before you told them, you thought, I'm just going to see if they'll do it on their own. Y'all ever do that with anybody? Yeah. And, 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 And Paul knew that if he laid down the law to Philemon and he just commanded him. Paul knew he would rob Philemon of the opportunity 
of being able to do it freely out of love. We don't force the issue sometimes with somebody because if, if they're not willing to help us, because they know it's the right thing to do, sometimes we just don't want it done. It's the way I am sometimes. I'd rather do without than someone do it begrudgingly. We don't want them helping us out because they feel obligated, but because they love us. And it's the same way here. It's far better to serve freely and joyfully out of love than to serve the brethren only because you have to. Obedience to God's command is so good and it's so right. But serving one another for love's sake is far better. Which is, which is greater, uh, 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 law or grace? <laughs> you know? Grace is far greater than law uh, because grace has power and law doesn't. Law, both are right, but grace empowers. Law does not empower. And uh, obedience to commands is good, but again, loving is far better. Paul was not sending a command to Philemon as an apostle. He was giving Philemon good, godly advice. Look back in your text. Giving him advice being such an one as Paul the aged. And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Look how he's titling himself here. He wasn't reminding Philemon that he was... A Pharisee of the Pharisees and circumcised the third day and, and uh, an apostle born out of due time and had seen Jesus with his own eyes and had been called up to the third heaven. He wasn't, he wasn't doing all of his great qualifications. Nobody had a resume like Paul at that time. He wasn't flashing his rank on his sleeve. Paul bowed down. He says, I'm not telling you this as an apostle. I'm telling you this as an old man. I'm telling you this as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul was giving the wisdom of a now godly old man who was in prison for preaching the gospel. That's how he was coming to Philemon. Paul wasn't confronting Philemon as a young, strong, domineering preacher. And it's a whole lot easier when you're young and you're strong. It's a whole lot easier to be a whole lot more bold to people when you preach. I'll tell them like it is. I've been there. But no, that's not what he's doing. He was encouraging him as an old, wise, loving inmate preacher. It's a whole lot easier to scold people into submission when you're young and healthy. But Paul wasn't in the business right now, was he? <laughs> he's not young. He's not healthy. And he's in prison. He can't even come confront the man to his face. Can't threaten him with intimidating him. All he's got is appealing to him for the sake of the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? As a Christian, if that doesn't motivate you to do what's right, I don't think the law will. I don't think it will. At least your motives won't be right if you serve by law and you're unwilling to serve by love. Paul was giving him a greater way. You know, 
That's how he spoke about love in 1 Corinthians 13. Yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Show you something better. Serve out of love. He was an elderly man who was in prison for his love for Christ and his love for others. See, Paul's sacrificial love was a whole lot more persuasive of an argument than Paul's apostolic authority. You getting this? I'm speaking to you as Paul the aged, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul's sacrificial love was a whole lot more persuasive of an argument than Paul's apostolic authority. Listen, if people see you in a position of authority, but they don't see you acting in a position of love, man, you can scold people all day long. But if you really want to have people persuaded, show them the love of God. It'd be a whole lot harder to deny someone's request when you're being instructed by a man who's in prison for loving people. If I'm asking you to love someone and I'm in prison for loving people, it's a whole lot harder to say, well, who's he to tell me? Paul acknowledged his authority. He didn't deny that he was an apostle, but we must remember that it wasn't God's law that won us over, was it? What won you over to Jesus? It was the love of God that won you over to Jesus. Well, the law scared me to death. <laughs> law scared me to death. But the law didn't make me fall in love with God. It made me afraid of God. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. It made me a very afraid of God. It made me not want to go to hell. But the law was absolutely incapable of making me fall head over heels in love with my Creator. But the love of God arrested my heart. It made me fall in love with my Creator. It wasn't God on the mountain that stole our hearts. It was God's Son on the cross that stole our hearts and made us fall in love with Him. Mothers, fathers, supervisors, pastors, God's love in you will always be a better argument than God's law in you. And we'll say that again. God's love in you will always be a better argument than God's law in you. We don't deny the law. We thank God for the law. Yet we must depend on the love to motivate the hearts of God's people. When I was going through seminary, I was sitting out in my pickup one day doing my studies. And uh, I remember, uh, well, I pick up, it made a good office for me a lot of times. But I remember reading where the Apostle Paul said, But God, for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. And I, my mind focused in on that phrase, for the great love wherewith he loved us and at that time it's like God got a hold of my heart and opened my eyes to that and suddenly I saw the purpose of pastoral ministry and I prayed and I said Lord everything that I do as a pastor preaching counseling serving 
whatever. Everything I do as a pastor, I want it to be for that reason right there. For the great love we're with you. Love them. We have to depend on the love of God to move the hearts of God's people. We bow the knee to God's commandments. Yet for love's sake, we move the hands and feet to the heartbeat of the cross. And with that, we'll go ahead and conclude for tonight. And Lord willing, we'll actually get into the heart of Paul's letter next week. And start talking about this runaway slave. And you know what's going to happen when we start talking about this runaway slave? It's going to make you see the love of God for you. Guess what you were before you came to Jesus. That's it. This letter is not about just any runaway slave. It's about you. It's not just about any slave owner. It's about him.